Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tom Bernard Show with Ralph W. Basham, MD, the Hackmaster. Stephen Letness. Andy Brand Bernard. Cassie Schrader. We'll be right back. Stephen Letness in studio. We got a lot to talk about, Stephen. We'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt that talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our Hello. website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7000. I can hear you. If you can hear me, is this Andy? Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Well, I'll keep up the good work. I'll try. <laughs> oh, there you go. Get a little jungle love going. Mm-hmm. Let the plan. Yeah. Unbelievable. You I and wanted Dave. to see them play it. They were at the Minnesota Zoo last year. Morse oh, Day. Yeah, but I never got a chance to get tickets in time. So I was pretty bummed. But hopefully they'll come back. I would hope. So. I think it would be a fun concert to go to. Oh, I would think so. Yeah, it should be. Stephen Lutness in studio with us, ladies and gentlemen. Adel Artist Music is a cutting-edge boutique record label that supports talented musicians with disabilities who are on government assistance. Uh, artists who are signed with us participate in a unique artist development program that is tailored and individualized to each artist's specific goals and talents. This program focuses on developing each participant's music and also their professional development, both inside and outside the studio and entertainment industry. How did it all get started, Stephen? Ooh, it's going to the way back machine, man. It's, yeah. uh, it's, uh, it started, you know, I was raised um, doing piano stuff, and I always wanted to be this fancy world's fastest piano player. And mm-hmm. I wanted to be signed to a label, and, you know, that was, that was tough. But uh, then I, but I always wanted to work in the industry, and, and uh, 
so I became a film composer, and so I write music for lots of movies, and I've done oh, like, really? yeah, I mean, there a lot, a lot of shorts, you know, but there's yeah, some documentaries, yeah. um, some features. We had a feature through cool. Sony Pictures uh, a couple years back, a Christmas film, um, and actually, I might as well just you know throw it out there, the film that we just did called Beneath the Ink. It's a short film. Uh, we just got Academy Award qualifying. You did? Yeah. That's so, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, it's, and it's a local Minnesota thing, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, so uh, as I started to, you know, have some success, you know, get some interviews, do these movies, um, I wanted to help other people like me because I am mostly blind, mm-hmm. and I have retinitis pigmentosa, and macular degeneration. No, boo hoo. <laughs> oh, who's this? Hello. Oh my God, am I in the air? You are. Who's calling? Oh, I didn't. I didn't hear that. My name's Derek. I was just thinking about um, all these great documentaries, and I didn't. I just called and was listening to you guys. I didn't get screened or anything. Did you? No, we're not you do guys screening. all rock. Do you know Stephen? I didn't mean boo hoo. I just um. I'm just a prick. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just called to tell you. You know this guy, Stephen? Stephen, do you know this guy? I, I, I don't, but hey, welcome. Yeah, welcome. I thought you, by, by the way you just opened up, I thought you might have known Stephen. It's <laughs> pretty interesting. Surprise, surprise. I love, the fact that you're, I love the fact that you're strong and you're doing good good work. I just, um, I God, I got caught with my pants down. I'm sorry. See, that's that's cool. but you, you tell a what? blind guy, oh, boo-hoo. That's real <laughs> but, nice, man. But that's actually, but this well, is part I'm of the a, deal, I'm though. a prick in general. So you got to treat like, people with disabilities just like other people. I'm all myself after Utah, so, you know, yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, what's that? He thinks he's Larry David. Sorry, guys. I know. Steve was just. I was just hearing that. I was hearing that thing in my phone and was, like, waiting for you to pick up and, Obviously, like I said, I got caught my pants down. Uh, I don't want to interject with your interview. Keep going. You guys are, I, I love the interview. All right. Well, Tom, thank you. you always do great interviews. You're very maybe, kind. Maybe get back to me later. Just don't bother. Sorry, guys. Not a problem. It was great, actually, because Stephen just said what you were talking about is part of the whole deal anyway. Right, Stephen? Yeah. You know, like a lot of people will treat people with disabilities differently. Yeah, like absolutely. They, they treat us with kid gloves. And what the caller just did was he treated me like everybody else. That's Which what I want, like. You know? I agree completely, 100%. Yeah. So it's like I walked into this. Actually, this reminds me of a story. So we, I uh, started this foundation to help people with disabilities called mm-hmm. Able Artist Foundation, ableartist.org. And we had this fundraiser a couple months ago where um, a mutual friend of ours, actually, Dan Flynn, Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Um, he is working with this musician named Tracy Blake, okay. who's a really good uh, singer. He does actually some R&B stuff. And I asked him and another friend of mine, Dan Shenander, um, who's doing this Blues Man film with Malcolm McDowell, who's another local guy. Um, I said, hey, we need music for our fundraiser. And so they came out and, and did this fundraiser, and we raised a bunch of money, raised thousands of dollars for, the, for my foundation. And I go to the bank, and, like, I'm coming in with a stack of notes and all these checks. And I'm like, hey, you know, excuse me, I, you know, I'm, I'm low vision. I need help filling out the slip right, right. To, to do the deposit. And so, you know, the guy's helping me out. He's super nice. I hand him this stack. He writes out, now sign your name right here. And I sign my name right there, and he pauses, and he takes it. He says, 
Good job. <laughs> you did it. Wow. You know, so, and thing is, you know, people with disabilities, you know, people first. But, you know, if you, if you want to call us names, we have every right to be called jerks, just like all the rest of you. Yeah, well, there's no question so. about it. I, I, yeah. You know, Jack Jablonski, I, really, really nice guy. Really. Uh, he, he was uh, disabled in a hockey accident. He lost pretty much all movement in his body. It's coming back to him slowly now, many, many, many years later. And they brought him into the studio at KQRS to do an interview. And they brought him in, and he's leaning back. And we're doing the interview and all the rest of it, and people are coming over, and they had to kind of dab his cheek because he would drool a little <laughs> bit and, you know, all, this, all these things, right? And I've always been this way. And some people get really upset with me, Stephen, because I treat everybody the same. As they think that's horrible, that I shouldn't right. do that, right? Well, I looked at Jack Jablonski and I said, you know, you're kind of a pain in the ass. And he started laughing. He thought it was wonderful that I would treat him just like I would treat anyone else. People Are people ever going to understand that, Stephen? Well, that's part of the mission. And it's almost Great. like it's, Great. it's sales tactics, quite honestly. It's like... Yeah. Um, you know, when I go out into the world, you know, people don't necessarily tell that I'm that I'm mostly blind, right? No, okay, you couldn't tell that. Yeah. No, you and couldn't. so like when I do, when I have an interaction with somebody, I almost end up becoming an ambassador for all people who are blind, whether whether I yeah. like it or not. <laughs> right. Like if I'm a jerk right. to somebody, they're going to take that and they might, you know, not treat somebody the same. Uh, so there is a little added responsibility, but what it takes is just like anything else, it takes repeated exposure um, mm-hmm. to to people who are different than you, and then you just treat us the same. You know, it's it's just that's just what we want. And the the main purpose of the foundation, to get back to that, is yes, we we uh, support people with disabilities off on who are on government right. assistance, but we want to get them off. I want to create taxpayers. So that's fantastic. That's why there's as much education. Uh, career development and mentorship as there is, hey, you write killer tunes, but you can't afford a studio. Well, you know, come work with Monty Moyer, who's on our board, who's mm-hmm. more staying the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got other Grammy-nominated people on our board. Come work with us. We'll develop your music, but we also want to develop you, too, to get you out there, make supplemental income, and so one day you can get off government assistance and feel good about paying taxes. Uh, because I feel really good, believe it or not, when I have to pay taxes because I'm making money writing music for movies. Right, right. That's what we want to get. It's it's empowerment through work. And Hollywood also has a big problem with, you know, they always talk about inclusion and diversity and all this stuff. Right. Right. And, you know, you know, bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) No offense, but they they, they talk about that, but they don't. They pay lip service. Just just my opinion. I'll be quiet and let the interview go on. I'm enjoying it. Cool, man. You know, Stephen, the the timing of this is unbelievable. You know that because when he first made his comment, I thought he knew you. So the timing of him (laughs) being on the phone with you going, ah, but. Boo should should be the uh, was the, the, the phrase no, of I'm just parade. a general prick. <laughs> I understand that most of my listeners are pricks, by the way. The equal opportunity <laughs> offender, my man. Ah, no, no, they're not. They're not so, at all. Go uh, on. I mean, I, I love the interview, Tom. You're a great interviewer, no. and well, Stephen does a great on, job. Just go on, please. Get get to me later. Okay, I'm enjoying this. Thank you very much. Stephen does a great job talking about. The fact that I just want to be treated like everyone else. I want to pay taxes like everyone else. I just want to live my life. And don't pander to me. I love that part of you, Stephen. Yeah. It's just you, you're yeah. a, uh, 
First of all, I should say Stephen's a very muscular guy, so he'd probably kick your ass anyway. <laughs> but in any case, I, I love the fact that you – how did you pick up such strength? Do you have, do you have great parents? I mean, I you, do. Have, you have tremendous personal I do. Parent, parents are a big part of it. Oh, yeah. Um, they, oh, yeah. They're a very egalitarian family. Um, my mom's a teacher. My dad's a preacher. Uh, Middle-class upbringing. I was born in Marshall. Okay. Uh, at Wiener Memorial. At um, <laughs> Wiener Memorial. But, like, I, I, we were raised in Colorado and Fort Collins because my dad directed this Lutheran camp. So a lot of oh, my okay. upbringing was up in the Rockies, you know, as a 9, 10, 12, 15-year-old spending time with college students, and which was a unique way to grow up. Um, you know, I suppose. And, and, uh, but it was great to be outdoors. You know, I still I had a little more vision at the time. But what was fun um, was being exposed to what it was like, because it was a Lutheran camp, being exposed to what, you know, to grace, but not cheap grace. Like, the, the whole right. point of it was, what are you going to do when you leave here? It's not just Jesus loves you. It's what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, and, and so that's, that's how I grew up. And that's what they taught me. You know, you, know, you talk the talk, walk the walk. You know, get busy, and you know my parents were the first people. <laughs> you love this man, like when when they were doing all the uh, the, the uh, civil rights stuff in the '60s. Yeah. My parents, who went to Concordia up in Moorhead, they were some of the they were the, the uh, they got on a bus in like what was it '67 and drove down to Montgomery to to register African Americans to vote, and that's the type of household that I lived in. We invited refugees yeah. into yeah. our home. Yeah. You know, and so it was always treat people equally. You know, I had sisters, like, treat people the same. It's egalitarian. That's how it should be. You know, and that's, and they didn't treat me any differently just because I had low vision. You know, I was still put through the same classes. They encouraged me to do music, do piano. I did Suzuki method. You know, it wasn't going to stop me. They never told me I couldn't do something. You know, it's just my mother wished I probably would have taken up a more secure career. Uh, Uh, You're doing awfully well. You know, because moms are like that. They're like, they just, they, yeah. they want you to, you know, have a good living, good life. Um, but my dad, who, he walks through fires. Like, he hangs from rafters. He's singing. He's he's really? one of those kind of kind of pastors and stuff. Right. He's a lot of fun. But he just tells me, go get it. Go do it. Just figure it out. Yeah, Make wonderful. it happen. So that that's why I grew up. And that's why I want to support other people like me, you know. Um, yep. There's 17 million Americans who are on government assistance in this country. Well, what can I do about that? Yeah, 17 million. I didn't 17 know million on SSI and SSDI. Because there's a fifth of America who's actually disabled in some way. A fifth? A fifth. 57 million I Americans are disabled. 17 million are on government assistance. My organization is there to support people with dis- because we have discount programs. Okay. So, like, musicians can come to ableartist.org. They sign up, and they get musical software uh, for half off and it's all half off it's no no sales no nothing because we're trying to stretch the dollar right so Get, you did all the sales up front of all that got all the people lined up to do this thing yep so yeah, my yeah. job because i used to do believe it or not i used to do door-to-door sales as a blind dude selling oil changes for vehicles i could never drive <laughs> <laughs> that works for me and i remember i was I, I was i did actually work in texas in austin where i actually had dogs sicked on me i had guns pulled on me and I walked up to this house, and I was trying to sell this guy these these five oil changes for seventy nine ninety five, and and he's like, well, I have a hybrid, or I have a well, whatever kind of eco car. I'm like, well, yeah, well then you just don't have to use the oil changes very often. Yeah. And see. he's like, 
no, it's all battery. And like he had to educate me. So I'm like, I'm turning beet red at this guy's door in Austin trying to sell him oil change cars to his electric car. I thought you did have to get your oil changed with an electric car still. I still have no idea. Oh, no, uh, transmission maybe. But not even then. There's Yeah, that's what no, I'm thinking. It's it, like it, the oil has to, ha- uh, the engine has to be well, lubricated. Well, the, but not a uh, total electric car like a, uh, a Tesla has no gasoline engine. It only yeah, but there's parts and you know. Yeah. I guess I but guess the, there's no. But the parts are are actually the parts. There's no. It's not the same as a car. It's probably it lubricated in a like different that. way. Yeah. It has brakes, which would be hydraulic, and then mm-hmm. it has uh, motors. But the motors are. They're not piston driven. No. No, they're not piston driven. No. It's a motor. It's an electric motor that is. Uh, most of those are permanently lubricated, so you really don't lubricate those. Permanently so. lubricated, huh? Yeah. You can't have permanently lubricated barrier. I wish I were permanently lubricated. That'd be good. <laughs> I'd enjoy that. This is this is all mythical to me. Like, what science fiction are you talking yeah, about? Well, no, yeah, exactly. Wow. That's very, very true. Um, why don't we do this? We're going to have to take a break in about 30 seconds. Uh, caller, what's your first name again? Uh, Derek, or call me Goat. Goat? <laughs> that works. Why do call you Goat, time. Derek? I'll hang on. I love listening to your interviews. All right. So Goat or Derek, we'll be back in uh, just a couple of minutes more with Stephen Letness. We're talking about able artist music, about his family. Uh, I love the fact your family is strong enough to say, hey, we're not going to teach you any differently. I love that strength. That's phenomenal. Thanks, we'll be right back after this. Tom it is phenomenal. <laughs> Did you know that about 60% of people over the age of 60 are starting to experience cloudy, blurry, or dim vision due to cataracts? Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. Whiting Clinic is best known for their fabulous LASIK results. You've heard me rave about them for years, but did you know they're also experts in cataract surgery? Yes, indeed, and I'm here to tell you about my wonderful experience having cataract surgery at Whiting Clinic. I'm at that age when my vision started to fade, so I called up the folks at Whiting Clinic. They helped me out right away. My cataract surgery was super easy, and thanks to the Whiting Clinic, my vision is top-notch once again. Whiting Clinic has the most advanced lens technology options, so I can see far away and up close without wearing any glasses. If you want to learn more about your options for cataract surgery or clearer vision, attend one of Whiting Clinic's cataract seminars. Call Whiting Clinic at 855-554-2020 to RSVP today. That's 855-554-2020 to learn more about your cataract surgery options at Whiting Clinic. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been to lose weight at Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth with their weight loss plan. I'm down over 77 pounds and have one more round to go to shed the rest of my unwanted pounds. Find out how to have success losing weight like I did by attending the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth free informational dinner It is on Monday, August 20th, 6 p.m. at Jake's in Plymouth. That extra baggage melts away really fast, and one of the best parts is it's just so easy. I am never, ever hungry. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth has educated me on clean eating, and I now know the foods that work for me and the weight gain trigger foods. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth will guarantee that you lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth has helped me change my life, and they can help you, too. Register for the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth Dinner on August 20th. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. Feed me I smell smoke in the auditorium. Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown. 
I like your playing Charlie Brown. That works for me. I grew up listening to R&B, and I love the music, and that's why I hate rap music, because it took the place of R&B music. I don't like it. Although I do like California Love. That's a rap song, and it's very positive. It's about, you know, loving where you're from. So I do like some of it, but not mm-hmm. all of it. Uh, we're talking to Stephen Letness about uh, Able Artist Music, about how he's trying to reach out to people. And you said it, it's ableartist.org? Yeah, we have, we have two okay. sites. Uh, ableartist.org, singular, ableartist.org uh, is our main site. And then our ableartistmusic.com is a sister site specifically for the program, which is we bring people in, you know, like we have, like we're looking for people with disabilities in the Twin Cities area because like mm-hmm. the discount program is actually worldwide. You know, people from all around the world can actually send in their ID and, you know, their, you know, government letters that say, yeah, I'm on disability. I, we verify it with my team right. and then they get all these discounts. So that's worldwide. And I've, I got, I've gotten letters from Nigeria, from Korea, from Japan, really? like people have heard about this and like, this is really interesting, but we're so new. Like we still got to figure out, well, what's the process in your country yeah. for it? And yeah. so like, that's the main program that's worldwide, but what's local because I want to support people locally. Yeah, I want to support, you know, the tens of thousands of people with disabilities sure. here. So, like, we are looking for people with disabilities who are on government assistance in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Uh, they don't need to be kids. A lot of people think, hey, we're just trying to help high schoolers and college students. But no, man, if you're 40, 50, 60 years old and, and you have a disability but you have killer talent, we want to hear from you. And because the point is... You may be on Social Security disability, but maybe you can't quite afford ten, twelve thousand dollars to go to Creation Studio, which is the studio that we work with in Uptown with Steve Weiss, um, to record your music. So we take care of that, but we mm-hmm. develop you there. So we're on the hunt for this year for a program that starts this winter. Uh, if you or know somebody with a disability on government assistance who's got killer talent, like you play a wicked guitar, you're a killer singer, doesn't matter. Uh, go to ableartistmusic.com, check out our program, check out, you know, we want to get a video from you. Why do you want to go through this program? What do you want to do? What, what do you, why should we pick you? So it's kind of like a, in America's Got Talent. We pick you, we pick three people. And then at the end of December, we move, meet with our board, which my board is amazing. I mean, it's, I am so thrilled with the board members. Like my, my board chair is the former director of National Sports Center up in Blaine. Who brought USA really? Cup? Yeah, Paul Erickson. Um, my, uh, yeah, our uh, again. We have two Grammy-nominated people. We got Monty Moyer from Morris Day in the Time, who played with Prince. We've got Alzi Ramsey, who's played with John Mayer and Madonna. Oh yeah. Um, we have Forbes 30 under 30 people who have disabilities who are run their own production studios in Los Angeles for Amazon, who are on our board. But my one of our board members is Craig Tallis, who's the editor on Mayans MC, like the Sons of Anarchy show, and the Good mm-hmm. Doctor on ABC. Like I have amassed these. people people who are excellent in their field, who are qualified in their field, who will pick from the, the folks who apply. We put them through the program for three months, see how they do, and then we develop them. What do they want to do afterwards? You know, the, the point is not only just to develop the music. In fact, the music is a byproduct. It's, it's actually we're developing them because at the, at the end of the time, the, the, the question is, what do you want to do next? Or do you want to yeah, sit in your home? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you want to just keep imagining what you could do? Or can we build through decision-making, you know, people making their own decisions, not having people make decisions for us? Because that's like a lot, like you're, like you're talking about. People kind of, you know, use white, you know, kid gloves with people with disabilities. Well, right. uh, stop it for, you know, folks. Like, 
we need to get people making their own decisions so they can build up you know, the consequences of those decisions to figure out where they go next. Maybe they want to go to school. Maybe they want to go and actually be an engineer. You know, uh, May I say something? Hey, welcome back. The goat's back. Well, I'm, <laughs> I've been here the whole time, dude. Yes. I'm just wondering, um, do you get like tired or offended when people, I guess the best way I'm, my best question is people talk down to you or treat you differently. Um, does that piss you off or, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're certainly, you know, a normal quote unquote normal, whatever we know, but you're do doing your thing. But, um, do you get tired of people trying to take extra, extra things to, to like extra care for make, Steven? You mean you're talking about, yeah, things yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, and sense. like, because, because of your handicap or, and it's not even a handicap, but you know, just because you are a little different, does it bother you that people kind of go out of their way to be like, Oh, they stroke you and, like, hey, you're okay, man, you know? Yeah. Well, um, here's the best part of it, Go Speak to that, please. The, the, the best part of it is, of course, you know, nobody should talk down to us. But here's the best part about being having a disability is going into a store and asking somebody for help because there are only going to be two responses that you're going to get from people. One, they've either done this before. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh you, oh, you don't see well, or you can't reach that on the shelf. You're, oh, I'll get that for you. You don't sweat. You know, my, like the guy who walked me over here because I couldn't find where this place was. He's oh, like, yeah. my dad's legally blind. So, like, I totally get it. So, either they have experience, like, yeah, I'll help you out. No, no sweat. Or they have absolutely no idea what to do, and they are putty in your hands. <laughs> <laughs> You're the one That's guiding funny. them. No, They're not guiding it. you. Yeah, no joke. I would, too, but... Do you take advantage of that? Do you ever take advantage of that, or well, maybe whatever? only at the bars. You know, when I'm, you know. <laughs> excuse, excuse me, ma'am. Um, I have a question. Nice, I don't see nice. well. No, no, it works. It works for advantage. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, just don't treat us differently. And might I say, if you come across somebody who is blind, do not grab their arm. Oh God! <laughs> Let them reach yeah. for you. If you're going to take them somewhere, makes sense. It's a little shocking when. Out of the black comes this mythical hand <laughs> grabbing your elbow or your shoulder. So let us reach out to you to do that. You know, that's a great idea. I, you never people don't that's even think good. about that. They want to reach out and they mm-hmm. want to help, and yeah, it's probably not the best idea to surprise well, like, someone. Because when you're like guiding, most people only guide a kid around, and kids don't care if you just grab their hand. Yeah, or as an adult, if you grab their hand, it's yeah. a little more weird. And it's up to us, though, to get does out that, in public, does too. Does that offend you? Like, if somebody wants to give you extra help, does that offend you? Or well, are that's you just, just like, every, well, every situation is different. Ahead. It's all negotiable, man. Like, uh, it's up to us, as somebody with a disability, if I need help, I need to speak up. You know, it's like, we need to see oh, yeah. more and more okay. of us out there in right. the world. Like, I need to tell you that one of the problems that I can't stand are people with disabilities who get upset and pout or, or, or get frustrated mm. because people aren't helping them correctly. Whether I like it or not, there are sometimes aspects that I need assistance with that I need to let you know. You know? We have and, another and caller. Thank you. Thank you for telling me that. That's, that's really cool because I didn't know, you know, I don't know. 
Well, like I, I, I try to help people, but um, I don't want to offend people, you know? I'm kind of Larry David that way. Like, what are you going to do? Eh. Boy, hey, Derek, I really appreciate your interest and in, in wanting to learn, man. That's that's what it does. we got to work together. You know? No, definitely. And um, if you would um, say it, uh, do you have a Twitter handle or anything? I'd love to follow you and retweet your oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, man. Hey, that'd be great, man. It's uh, Stephen Letness. At Stephen Letness, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-L-E-T-N-E-S. My last name spells Nestle, N-E-S-T-L-E. That's how a lot of people remember uh, here it. Here we go. You know, it's, ah. <laughs> Stephen Letness. Come cool. on, Tom. I'm doing your job. Now you are, Nestle. I got yeah. Nestle. Stephen Nestle, Letness, whatever it is. <laughs> go. Thanks for calling, man. I appreciate your call today. And, and reach out to Stephen. I'm sure he'd love to thanks. communicate. I, I will do that, and you guys keep doing a good job, and um, I'll hang up and stop stealing the interview you keep up the good work and um love you guys just uh, um, boo-hoo that's all i guys. have to say to you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you man love you too thanks, thanks for your Derek. support i appreciate it take care guys all right you too bye we have another caller andy probably john oh you think it's john is it john eckberg john i don't think it's john it's still me I can hang up now. There's someone on there, but they're not talking. Hey, come on. I I called to give you a joke, and that's all I wanted to do, but now I'm an asshole. No, you're not. You're fine, goat. (laughs) We'll talk to you later. Thank you. All right. It's stupid. Can I do one real quick? Oh, you want to do a joke? Yeah, absolutely. Here we go. Yeah, just real quick. Sorry. (laughs) No, no, you're fine. An Asian guy goes into the optometrist. He says, you have a cataract. He says, no, I drive a Rankin Continental. Oh, God. <laughs> Hello, guys. Okay. Goodbye. Um, take care. <laughs> Bye, guys. Ra, ra, ra. <laughs> yeah, there you go. The same joke as a Christmas story. That's exactly it. Uh, yeah, right. uh, someone called. If, it, if that was John and you're listening, then call back because I don't know what happened. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um Maybe we should edit that joke up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, he goes, oh, it's fine. If the Christmas story can do it, then. Yeah, it's, that was that was a few years ago, though. That was no jinx it, though. They might take that off air now. Yeah, honestly, they no, might. No, you don't want to take that off the air. No, Especially a... when the dogs next door come over and steal their turkey. What, <laughs> what was the dog's own butt? It was a the bu- bu- bupkis. It was bup- a bupkis. Or Bumpus. Bumpus. Yep, it was Bumpus. The Bumpus family. That's exactly right. The Bumpus. The Bumpus family with their dog coming over to steal their turkey, their Christmas turkey. Unbelievable. So, Stephen, you grew up Lutheran. Yep, Lutheran pastor. You you, uh, spent a lot of time when the holidays with family and all that. You still do that? Oh, sure do. Actually, my parents live up in Blaine. Oh, they do? And actually, my my sister Shana lives up there, too. Um, Yeah, so yeah, spent time with family. Um, it's it's nice that they're they're around. They like to travel a lot. They're going to Europe for a month. They love oh, they love yeah. doing all that travel for a month. That's what they do every year. That's their plan. Like yeah. that's their hobby is spending eleven months planning their one month. I got no shot. A month not happening. Oh. I think I get like six days. That's it. Okay, callers back. Whoever it is. Hello. Hey, it's John here. Is this Tom? There yeah, it is. is John Eckberg. How are you? I'm all right, man. How are you? Doing extremely well. Stephen Letness is our in-studio guest. He's doing great work with Able Artist Music. Uh, Stephen is low vision himself, and he's reaching out to all people with disabilities. Disabilities, that's that's okay, Stephen? 
Yeah, it's 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 fine. You know, it's like how people who want to. You can't have a conversation if keeps if people keep stopping you to interrupt and correct you. Like, how can you yeah, continue that's, that that's conversation? True. So, whether people say blind, you know, visually impaired, disabled, whatever. Let's let's get to the meat of the of the topic. You know, it's it's not my job to just keep stopping you and no no yeah. see i think that's one it's one john uh steven has a great great attitude toward anybody with uh with disabilities whatever they might be and he's trying to he's, he's put together a music label for people who are uh who might have disabilities who are great musicians and now we get to talk to you about a story that i've been want i've been hearing about you for quite some time now john i will tell you that <laughs> you think that's a bad thing oh those capuses are finally caught up with me, huh? Yeah, that's it. No no doubt. O.J. Simpson and Glenn Rogers, The Juice, Road Dog, and Murder on Bundy Drive. John, we got about two minutes in this segment, and I hope you can stay for the, the final segment of the show. That's about a 15-minute segment. Do you have that much time, John? I have as much time as you need, Tom. Wonderful. This, I mean, we could, how did this all start with you, with, uh, you know, O.J. Simpson, Glenn Rogers? How did you find out about all these things? I made the mistake of, of deciding that the world needed a true crime book about a serial killer from Hamilton, Ohio. I was a daily newspaper reporter. And, uh, you know, God forbid that you write a true crime book about a guy, and you, you do, and then you find out that you don't sell tens of thousands of copies. You sell tens of tens. Well, it was a learning, it was, it was a learning experience for me. But uh, I got into the nuances of who Glenn Rogers was, and because I was a journalist— I wasn't going to speculate on where else he may have been involved in terms mm-hmm. of what crime. Right. And, uh, and that's where the OJ connection would later come into my life. And I finally decided, you know, I got to get this off my chest and tell the world what I know about this guy, what I think about this guy, and what I think happened on Bundy Drive. That is amazing. So, Glenn Rogers started where, where did you say the, the uh, is? Hamilton, Ohio is a little disinvested oh, okay. town, kind of the heart of the Rust Belt north of Cincinnati. Okay. Uh, and uh, I was covering a small-town reporter, basically, for a big-city newspaper covering Hamilton, Ohio at the time when he went on a uh, crime spree throughout the South, uh, eventually was captured, is now on death row in Florida. Really? And a Florida writer named uh, Steve Combs came to me and said, John, you want to, let's do a book on this guy. And at first I went, no, and then I realized, you know, there are some lessons to be learned from just the Glenn Rogers story. So, okay, Steve, let's write a true crime book. What the heck? We will be right back after a very short break. More with John Eckberg and Stephen Letness. We're loaded for bear today. Right back, Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here to tell you, Priority Courier Experts has immediate openings for drivers looking for more. Priority drivers are independent contractors who set their own hours, start from their own driveways, and deliver local on-call parcels and freight, which means you're home for dinner every night, and you get paid weekly. Right now, Priority's driver-friendly lease-to-own program has brand-new dock trucks, flatbeds, curtain sides, and tractor trailers just waiting to be driven home. And Priority's also offering a $4,000 sign-on bonus to qualified drivers. So if you've got the skills, we can get you qualified to start driving a brand new truck in as little as three days. Calling all drivers, come get the $4,000 sign-on bonus you deserve for all the knowledge and experience you bring to the delivery business. Call Roger or Eddie right now at 651-748-4477 or visit them online at Priority.com. 
Priority Courier Experts. Every time you call us, we deliver. Let's talk about good things. Does your car work? You got a roof over your head? You got kids, parents, a spouse who loves you, or a mate? These are the good things you have because you live in America, the country that has more immigration than any other nation on Earth. You have these things because the U.S. military stands at a wall and protects you from any person or thing that would take them away from you. The entire volunteer military that stands at the ready just in case. The greatest fighting force ever known on planet Earth. Every person serving in our military is ready to lay down their life for your freedom. And all too often, they do. I'm the executive director of the Gold Star Ride Foundation, an organization set up to do just one thing. Take care of families left behind when one of our brave fighters loses their life for you. We're riding motorcycles throughout the country to achieve this purpose, and you can help. Go to goldstarride.org and make a donation or learn where we are so you can come and ride with us. It's a small thing we do. It was a huge thing that they did. Goldstarride.org. That's goldstarride.org. Make a donation today. What do you got cooking over there, Cassie? A little Leonard Cohen. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody knows. Everybody Everybody knows. Stephen Letton is in studio with us, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be talking uh, to Stephen a lot more about what he's up to. And John Eckberg, I have to tell you, John, uh, or by coincidence, I guess the best way to put it, I read a story this morning about how O.J. Simpson is now a celebrity in Las Vegas. People approach him to take pictures. They want his autograph. They tell him that uh, what a wonderful person he is, and they just love him. What is that all oh, about? Oh, man. I don't know. The celebrity adoration uh, it really compels Americans to do a lot of strange things. What, what, what we found when we wrote our book, Road Dog, uh, the first edition, was that uh, we believed that he was probably involved some way, shape, or form with what happened on Bundy Drive. Really? But we were, sm- we were small-time journalists. We didn't have money to go out to California and investigate, although I did spend two days calling up contracting companies to see, talk about a feudal initiative, to see if they had ever hired Glenn Rogers to repair houses. The story that the family members had told and had told to other authors was that Glenn was a handyman uh, hired uh, by somebody uh, with connections to O.J., if not O.J. himself, to paint the condo on Bundy and to paint the house on Rockingham. We couldn't prove any of that. And what company is going to admit to hiring a guy who ended up being a serial killer? So mm, right. that went nowhere. You know, when it was it was an initiative that we thought might happen. It didn't. Well, I started thinking about uh, what we did not write in Road Dog, And 20 years later, uh, about, I got an uh, email. I kind of knew it would come at some point in my life from an Australian filmmaker who wanted to know about Glenn Rogers, the serial killer, the, the women he killed, basically five women that we know of, four women that we know of throughout the Southland of America. And, oh, by the way, what do you know about O.J.? And at that point in time, I realized uh, we're going to tell him everything we knew. One of the challenges of a book, a true crime book, is to keep it accurate. My co-author, Steve Combs, had the great foresight to go into the uh, uh, prosecutor's office after the trial of Tina Marie Cribbs ended, where Glenn is now on death row, and say, look, we're going to do a book on him. We need more than this filing, more, more paper. And she went, I don't have anything else. 
And he went, look, it's not my first powder puff roller derby here. I know you have something else. <laughs> can, you, can you help us out here and give us some documentation? And this was sort of a, a hand of the Lord moment, I think. She looked at him and said, I'll tell you what, the judge just came in here, gave me a box of records, told me to dispose of the records. I'm disposing of them by giving them to you. And within that box of records, we found that indeed this guy, Glenn Rogers, was a really, really terrible, awful person. And when the email came from the Australian filmmaker, we didn't hesitate. We sent him the box of records that we had used on Road Dog. Uh, later, I find out, uh, David Monaghan was his name, was that uh, exactly what we thought had happened had indeed happened. Glenn was a maintenance guy. He probably sold cocaine to uh, Nicole, uh, to Faye Resnick, and O.J. apparently turned to him and said, I want you to steal the diamonds that she has because she's divorcing me and I'm getting the jewels back. Well, for Glenn, and if you have, if you may have to kill her, and I don't care. Well, for Glenn, that was uh, an added bonus into the situation. So what Glenn did, and it fills in a lot of questions, I think, about the OJ cases. He stole OJ's gloves and a hat, went to the crime scene, may or may not have had intentions of murdering Nicole, but he was wanted for the murder of a guy back in Hamilton, uh, and. When Ron Goldman showed up, Glenn went into his fighting mode, and he was apparently a hitman for the Dixie Mafia and the Armenian Mafia as well, out in California, which family members talked about. Uh, And he killed everybody at the scene, uh, except O.J., who he cut with a knife. I think he intentionally cut O.J. He knew the way police investigated cases. O.J.'s blood's on the scene. Uh, there's an unknown footprint on the back of Nicole's T-shirt. Oh, yeah. Uh, the autopsy shows blood drops uh, on her. He went in on Ron Goldman, and Ron Goldman, the black belt in karate, uh, beat the devil, I think, before he died. The one thing Ron Goldman showed us by, by beating on Glenn Rogers, if you look at the autopsy pictures, his knuckles are all bruised. He, he didn't show us who killed him, who held the knife. He showed us who didn't kill him, who did not hold the knife. Okay. And that was O.J., because a day later, O.J.'s picture is taken for a mugshot, and his face was perfect. Um, so back to the crime scene. Glenn leaves one glove at the crime scene, tells O.J., probably at knife point, you're taking me back to Rockingham, and you're going to pay me the rest of the $20,000 you owe me. Uh, O.J., who had driven him to the scene, uh, had now had to take him back to Rockingham to pay him. Our notion is, however, that, and this explains one of the great mysteries to me, has always been the key that was in O.J.'s overnight bag to Chicago, the key to Nicole's condo. My guess is he gave Glenn the key and said, we're all going to be at the dance recital. Go in and get the diamonds. Glenn went to the condo. There were no diamonds there. There were no jewels there. Or if they were there, he stole them and told OJ there were no diamonds there. There were no jewels there. In 1989, a kind of a goofy corner of OJ's life is after he beat Nicole the first time, she calls the police on him. He went over to his 
golfing buddy's house. When the cops didn't show up, he had the temerity to go back to his Rockingham house with her there, went upstairs, grabbed a little bag of diamond jewelry, took the diamond jewelry with him, didn't take it back to the house where his golf buddy lived, but he put it underneath the neighbor's garbage can. He then waited for the cops. Cops didn't show up. A.C. Cowling went back to the neighbor's house under O.J.'s direction, looked under the garbage can, grabbed the diamonds. Now you flash ahead to 1994. Nicole knows it's over. She either takes the diamonds with her to the dance recital uh, or Glenn takes them. But in any event, Glenn goes back to O.J.'s house that evening and says there were no diamonds there. And O.J. says to him, Probably the same thing he said to the goons in Vegas when he went after his Heisman. He said, we're going back. You're going to rob her the traditional way, and I'll drive. And that is what put O.J. on the scene. When he sees Ron Goldman come into the courtyard, he probably goes in to try to think, and I can cool things out, not knowing he's dealing with a serial killer who's already wanted for a, a murder in Hamilton, Ohio. Glenn slashes his hand. He cuts the shoe of Ron Goldman. Uh, he goes over... Uh, kills Ron, Nicole starts screaming, and that becomes that leads to her demise as well. Uh, O.J. remains fairly blood-free, and Glenn then follows O.J. back to the, goes back with O.J. in the Bronco, back to the house, uh, gets his money, he's upstairs, O.J. has to leave because the limo driver's out front. First thing O.J. does when he gets to the airport is he calls up Cato Kalin and says, go set the burglar alarm, hoping, I think, that Glenn would still be in the Rockingham house. Glenn was gone. He had hoped, I think, to send Cato Kalin into a slaughterhouse as well. Then it would look like a crazy guy yeah. hit both of his houses and yeah. killed everybody. Uh, Glenn easily framed O.J. by flipping the second glove uh, behind the uh, cottage where Cato Kalin lived, banged on the wall for good measure, and pretty much disappeared into history, although he would later surface within oh, about two years and be wanted for about five other murders. And that's the point, I think, of our book, is that if authorities had treated that crime scene as it, as it was, which is an obviously staged crime scene, uh, poorly staged, I should add, uh, with two killers uh, on it, because the fact is that when you hire a guy to commit a felony, such as grand theft, um, and it, it, it escalates into murder, you're just as guilty as the guy who's holding the knife. There are other parallels with the way Glenn killed people. Uh, Tina Marie Cribbs, the murder in Florida, he smashed uh, a watch there that he wore and left a pager. He liked to leave timepieces, and he would smash the watch at the time of death. If you look at Nicole's watch, it smashed the clock. The, the, the watch face is crushed at 9.59. It was a, I think it was the way Glenn marked his killings. Now, I'll tell you what, though, Tom, if you want to get people looking at you sideways, you just tell them you're writing a book about O.J. that's going to show that he wasn't the one that said <laughs> I imagine, yes. Well, Glenn, I, yeah. I, I have a quick question for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's been claims that Glenn Rogers took an angel pin off the dead body of Nicole Brown Simpson and gave it to his mother and insisted that she wore it at his trial in court. Yeah. Now, yeah. has anybody confirmed that with the Brown family that that particular piece of jewelry was Nicole's that belonged to her? 
You know, and I'm not, I'm not, I kind of doubt that they, that they have, but I'm not sure that that's kind of a conclusion. There's a, there's a big trend back then in the early nineties of wearing angel pins. You uh-huh. might've had one yourself. A lot of women had angel pins, uh, but there is the contention. And I believe it was a brother who, who told David Monaghan about that angel pin. Uh, you know, the, the, saddest part i was a courthouse reporter for about two years in cincinnati from oh i don't know 1983 to 86 or something and and it taught me it really taught me two things one is that you can you you will find success as a courthouse reporter if you work at a courthouse and you write about the most heinous thing that one person did to another there's a there's so much sadness involved in those cases i can only take it for about two years and had to go off and, and do something else. But, but the, the other thing that that courthouse those days taught me was you have to read every page that you can get your hands on and you have to study it. And we couldn't, I still don't know about that angel pin. So frankly, I left that out of our story because it felt like it might've happened. I think it probably happened, but I just simply wasn't sure of it. Some of the other elements of this story, though, strike me as, you know, obvious. Like, why, if if OJ was the furtive figure walking across the driveway and seen by uh, the driver, why were the blood trail that's across that driveway? Why wasn't OJ's blood there at all? It's all victim blood. Um, if if OJ wore the gloves. Uh, and I, I believe clearly they were his gloves that Glenn stole. Why wasn't any of his blood on the gloves? And why weren't there any fingerprints on the gloves? Try taking a pair of gloves off and not leaving your fingerprints. It's a tough thing to do. Yeah. You can use your teeth, I suppose. Uh, the, the gloves had carpet fiber on them, the, at least the one did uh, over at the Rockingham uh, estate from the Bronco. Glenn probably left it on the uh, on the left it on the on the floor. Uh, he was he was clearly a maintenance guy in in L.A. Uh, and had a history of uh, dealing cocaine. I don't know that he was a confidential police informer, but I do know in Hamilton he was, and it paid him a hundred bucks for every pot bust he could set up for the Hamilton cops and the Butler County cops. Did he do the same in L.A.? I don't know. I suspect he may have done the same in L.A., but, you know, no evidence to show that. When you float Glenn Rogers into that crime scene, all of a sudden, a lot of big questions have answers. And uh, and the first one is Ron Goldman was stabbed 27, 28 times. Well, just slash the air right now 27 times. No. If if a man is killing his wife with a knife, he's going to stop it about ten times, probably stabbing once once she's lifeless. Glenn Rogers was a psychopath, uh, and he kept going. And uh, if you look and read the autopsy, there's a, there's there's one one thing that stands, stood out to me right away. He was stabbed in the left leg. Well, how did he get stabbed suddenly in the left leg? Glenn knew that if you cut through the left leg with a knife. You could hit the femoral artery, and a person you're fighting will weaken and then die. And it's a fatal, basically. If you cut the femoral, uh, you're gonna you're gonna hemorrhage, you're gonna you're gonna bleed to death. And um, once I saw that Ron Goldman stabbed in the left thigh, uh, his shoe had been cut. 
He had keys apparently in his fingertips. So he knew, I think he knew that when he saw Glenn Rogers on the scene, uh, that Glenn was one of those hanger-ons from the Bob restaurant in L.A. I think he had enough time and he knew that this guy was there to fight and kill. Uh, and that's when Ron put the keys between his fingers. There's so many details that you just wish police had knitted up. The keys that were in his hand is a great detail. Why didn't they knit that up? Why did they give those keys back to the woman whose car uh, Ron borrowed? There, uh, there are elements of this crime scene that I think most uh, police officers would not have allowed to have happened in their jurisdiction. Uh, no videotape of the crime scene. Uh, no, um, no, anal- uh, no analysis of, of the blood drops that were not splatters uh, that was on Nicole's back. The DNA under her fingernails matches no one at that crime scene uh, when she went on her defensive moves. The reality is, is I think Glenn Rogers was a higher jewel thief who got out of control and uh, not got out of control, who just basically lost his mind. I think he was addicted to killing. So where are we now? The reality is, is that if you bring up charges against someone of conspiracy to uh, grand theft, conspiracy to murder, it's a separate and brand new charge, and you can use evidence from the first criminal trial against him in another criminal trial. Uh, I think I think that there should be some prosecutorial action here on our Las Vegas celebrity, and he should he should face the music of having sent a, a guy in to seal some jewelry, and it it cascaded into uh, a double homicide. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, this is a lot. This is a lot for people to get their arms around. Oh yeah. So every time I I tell this story, I'm getting silence when people just go, "What?" <laughs> uh, they, <laughs> It's a tough one to get your arms around, but um, we've spent some time looking at it and have laid out what I think is a, is a case for um, two killers on the crime scene, O.J. and Glenn Rogers. O.J. Simpson and Glenn Rogers, the Juice Road Dog and Murder on Bundy Drive. John Eckberg, E-C-K-B-E-R-G. John, thanks for your time today. Fascinating story. Tom Bernard, you are the man. I appreciate your interest. Thank you so That's much. very kind of you, sir. Thank you. Uh, also, Stephen Letness with us. Stephen, we got to have you back in and talk more about how this is all going. How, how long is it? How long has your your program been in? Let's say full action. How long have you been rolling with it? Well, this is its first year. This is uh, this is the first time we Did are just... in the pilot program doing this, and there's so much work. I mean, it's starting. It's like starting up a business. You know, it's just, oh, there's, yeah, there's just like I'm I'm the one who's I'm the one who's going a thousand miles an hour, and I've got other board members. Hey, buddy, settle down. We still got to file our 51C3 paperwork. Like, chill out. Like, it's, stuff takes time. You know, yeah, I want to go yeah. a million miles an hour. So it's the first year, which is a lot of fun, which is why, Tom, I really am grateful that you have allowed me to come on to this show because this is – I need ears on this. I need eyes on this to help make this pilot yep. program go. Am I on to something or am I crazy for thinking I can no, do it? No, I know? think it so is a great idea. Able Artist Music, the two uh, websites again are? Ableartist.org okay. and ableartistmusic.com. Stephen Letness, L-E-T-N-E-S, thank you so much for your time today. Great talking to you. So thanks for coming down. Hey, thanks. You. Thank you too, Tom. We'll talk to you tomorrow, Tom Bernard Show.